Welcome, I'm Doug Morgan, and you're listening to Uncommon Sense, where we hunt for the truth in the topics you're not supposed to talk about, Christianity and politics. I was asked the other day to describe some economic terms like inflation and recession and and things like that. Many times we just go about our day doing the things that we have to do. It it may be working or taking care of the kids. Um, there, there are household honeydews that need attention or, or going to the store to check off the, the list of things that we need. What has been very evident recently is that the, the shopping list is getting very expensive. We... We go about our day not even thinking about what core inflation is uh, until the price of gasoline suddenly doubles. But all the economic jargon can get very confusing. And when you throw all the government acronyms in there, most people just throw up their hands in the air when trying to figure it all out. In 1992, the, the U.S., was experiencing an economic recession under uh, an incumbent president, George H.W. Bush. The Democratic challenger for the presidency was, of course, Bill Clinton. His political advisor was a man by the name of James Carville. (laughs) Carville coined the phrase, it's the economy, stupid. (laughs) It It was Clinton's big rallying cry because most people... Well, they vote with their pocketbooks. And this is because they go about their their daily lives and and don't concern themselves with a a lot of things until it hits them in the wallet. This is why governments can slowly but surely take away your freedoms, but there's not really a big outcry until your ATM fees are raised 50 cents. (laughs) It's just the way it works. Today, we are seeing a lot of personal budgets getting hit hard. Everything seems to be either not available or or twice as much as it used to be if it is available. A few, a few weeks ago, I, uh, I went to a local fireworks tent uh, and was amazed at how expensive even the 4th of July celebration was going to be this year. It was difficult to find fountains of fireworks under $100 each. We, we hear on the news all the talk of inflation and, and Fed policy and CPI, and our, and our eyes just start to glaze over. But since it's a, it's a thing that is really starting to hit home pretty hard, well, let's look at what all this stuff is. The, the Brookings Institute uh, says that inflation refers to changes over time in the overall level of prices of goods and services throughout the economy. The, the government measures inflation by comparing the current prices of a set of, of goods and services to previous prices. So basically, they, they have this list of things. They, they uh, then uh, look at, at how much more those things cost. Uh, today over last the last time they checked. Um, and that turns out to be, you know, this 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 whole process turns out to be more complicated than it sounds. Uh, here's here's how inflation measures work. 
what is the consumer price index? We hear this CPI, right? The consumer price index or CPI produced by the Bureau of Labor Statistics is the most widely used measurement of, of inflation. The, the primary CPI is uh, designed to measure price changes fa- uh, faced by urban consumers, who of course represent like 93% of the U.S. population. Uh, it's an average though, and, and doesn't reflect any particular consumer's experience. So they don't just look at like one family or something and say, well, how much, you know, is, is your, your budget going, uh, up or whatever. So they, they, t- they do take a look at the actual things that we buy. Now the CPI is constructed each month using 80,000, yes, 80,000 items in a fixed basket of goods and services uh, representing what Americans buy in, in their everyday lives, from gasoline at the pump and apples at the grocery store to cable TV fees and doctor visits. The BLS uses a survey of American families called the Consumer uh, uh, Expenditure Survey to determine which items go into the basket and how much weight to assign to each item. Now, different prices are weighed accordingly to, to how important they are to the average customer. So for instance, Americans spend more on chicken than they do tofu. So, so changes in the price of chicken have a greater impact on this CPI. Well, the federal government uses a version of the Z, uh, CPI, the CPI of wage earners and clerical workers to adjust social security benefits for inflation, for instance. So that, that brings us up to the question of how does the government get price data for this CPI? Well, the BLS collects price data each each month by um, conducting two surveys. One records the prices of most goods and services, and the other, the price of housing. So they actually break those out. For most goods and services, BLS, they their, their representatives visit um, on, or go online or in person um, or even call various stores across the country and record what different items cost. So during each trip, the data collector records the the prices of the, the same goods and services as the last month. How, how would you like uh, that job, <laughs> right? Prices in, in New York and Los Angeles and, and Chicago are collected uh, every month and are, are um, as, as our food and energy prices across the country are collected as well. Now, prices for commodities from all other places tend to represent a smaller chunk of the overall basket, and and they're just updated every other month. So not every month, but every other month. Now, in the the housing survey, the BLS collects the prices of 50,000 residences through personal visits and telephone calls. If a if a housing unit isn't rented, for instance, but is owned by a resident, we have we have one of these uh, in in our neighborhood here where it's, it's kind of nice. The guy owns the house, but it sits vacant for most of the time, and he doesn't actually rent it out. Um, and, and and these type of things they are used. Uh, um, there there used to be uh, what was called. Um, the, the owner's equivalent rent. So the BLS finds what it would cost the owner to rent a similar place and uses that as the price for housing instead. Since rentals do not change frequently, well, the rent for each unit is sampled every six months. 
uh, allowing for the BLS to, you know, survey more houses overall. Now, the, the, the question is, how are tax brackets adjusted for inflation? Another version of the CPI called the Chained Consumer Price Index for all uh, urban consumers have been used to adjust tax brackets for inflation instead of the primary CPI since Congress changed the law in, in 2017. The primary CPI can can be a little bit higher. It can it can overstate inflation because its prices, you know, the same basket of goods from from one month to the next are the same. Although items are updated every two years in that basket, but but it it, it doesn't take into account situations between similar goods. So if a if a good, say I don't know, apples or something, right, becomes more expensive and people choose to buy more of its substitutes like peaches, let's say. I love peaches. I like apples too, but peaches are awesome. Uh, so let's say I, I, I want to buy apples, but you know, apples have gone up, they've gotten too expensive. So, hey, I'm going to switch over to peaches uh, this week. Well, the CPI calculates the price level as, as though people are still buying the same amounts of each item, just a different price. The chained CPI, however, takes into account the substitutions between similar items. It, it, it does this by updating its basket according to what people buy from one period to the next. Basically, the, the BLS calculates one measure of inflation using the basket from the first period and another measure from the basket in the second period, which can have fewer apples and more peaches, let's say, right? And reports their average. Now, this chains the impact of price changes across months, making the chain CPI better at calculating consumer spending patterns and measuring the impact of, of higher prices. Because it, it factors in substitutions uh, away from higher priced items, inflation measures by the chain CPI run slightly lower than the primary CPI. And the effect can add up over time. I mean, between 2000 and 2020, the CPI went up 54.5%. Well, the chain CPI only went up 459 Now, it's still quite a bit, but you can see how it, it comes in a little bit lower. Now, using the chain CPI to uh, inflation uh, adjust tax brackets means that the tax bracket threshold increase increases more slowly. And Americans pay more in taxes over time than they would if the primary CPI was used. And that's why they do it, right? <laughs> so so the question here is, what is the price index for personal consumption expenditures? That's the, the, the PCE that you may have heard about. Well, the price of index for PCE is personal consumption expenditures, is what that is uh, short for, uh, is another measure of inflation. This one uh, produced by the Bureau of Economics Analysis, or BEA, using a data on prices from the BLS. The, the, the PCE price index measures the, the change in prices of overall consumption items, uh, not just those paid for out of, out of pocket by consumers. So, so for example, the weight on, on healthcare in the PCE reflects what consumers pay out of pocket for like premiums and deductibles and co-payments and, and as well as the costs covered by employer provided insurance like, you know, Medicare or Medicaid and things like this. Now in this CPI, the only, only the direct costs to consumers are reflected. This, this difference in scope means that the, the PCE reflector and the, 
and the CPI have very different weights. For example, the weight on healthcare is 22% in the PCE index, but only 9% in the CPI. The weight on housing is 42% in the CPI, but just 23% in the PCE index. So you see how there's there's quite a bit of difference there. And that, that means that a, a given increase in healthcare prices will reflect in the C in the PCE index much more than it will in the in the CPI. Now the Fed uses the PCE actually price index as its main measure of inflation. Its its long run target for inflation is for the PCE price index to increase at an annual rate of about two percent over time. They, that's what they they like to see. Now the PCE is is also a chain index, and and while the primary CPI is not, that this means that that the chain CPI the 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 the, the PCE is is better at, at accounting for such substitutions between similar items when one of them becomes more expensive because it's it's formula uses updated data and and the PCE is believed to be more accurate. Uh, a more accurate re- reflection of price changes over time across items. Um, over time, the two measures tend to, to show a similar pattern, but the PCE tends to increase between about two and three tenths less than the CPI. For example, the CPI uh, increased 1.7 per year on average from 2010 to 2020. The PCE index increased 1.5 over that same time period. So what is core inflation? Because we hear that a lot on the news. What is, what is core inflation? Well, whether the CPI or the, the, the PCE price index is defined as the change in prices um, and, and, and then uh, excludes food and energy, which tend to be volatile. So they, they take these indexes of everything that, that we were just talking about, but then they exclude food prices and they exclude energy prices like gasoline and, and natural gas and, and, and electricity and things like that. Um, while food and energy are, of course, major parts of any household budget, core inflation is often seen as a better indicator of the underlying pace of, of price changes by some. So other approaches... Uh, to discern the underlying inflation uh, trend to include uh, the, the Cleveland Fed's ter- um, trimmed mean uh, CPI and, and things like this. Um, these measures, they, they, they get rid of kind of like the, the noise, so to speak, by leaving out uh, whichever prices behave erratically each month rather than, than singling out food and energy prices every time. So, so in other words, they it, it, they know that that these two things, uh, and, and oftentimes they're tied together. I mean, obviously, gasoline prices are tied with food prices very very closely because when the price of of let's say gasoline or diesel or whatever goes up, well, obviously that's going to hit the farmer really hard, and it's going to hit manufacturing really hard, and it, and it's going to hit even the transportation, um, you know, from the factory to the, the store really hard. And so that's going to obviously drive up your food prices. And so, uh, so they like to take those out under core inflation because they're really volatile. Right. And so it makes it look, it makes it look better if they, if they take those things out of there. Um, so, so how do price indexes account for quality changes? 
Um, well, accounting for quality change is one of the thorniest issues in price management. And tracking the price of the same good over over time works well when the exact same good, like let's say a dozen large eggs, for instance, is is sold from one period to the next. But often that isn't the case. Now, for example, new versions of the iPhone are introduced to the market on a regular basis. And the iPhone, iPhone, you know, someone buys today is better quality in theory than the one bought five years ago. Well, in, in addition, entirely new goods are sometimes introduced that might make people uh, much better off, you know, for instance. Um, economists, uh, they, they think that the, the benefits of those goods should be captured in in price indexes so we we can you know distinguish between price increases let's say that reflect better quality and those that reflect true price inflation now the bls has made some some progress over time in accounting for for quality for example for some goods they they use a uh, headomics uh, which it is it's it, it, it it, it, it tries to adjust prices for the value of of new attributes, but price indexes still likely reflect a a mixture of true inflation and quality improvements. So this is particularly you know true because the the sectors of of the economy in which uh, quality is particularly hard to measure, uh, such as healthcare and education, are growing as a share of the overall economy. So. Uh, so some of this kind of gets, gets tricky, kind of gets, uh, we kind of get into the, into the mud a little bit with some of it, but, but, um, but with all of this said, let's take a look at where the government said that we were last month and what it will mean for us today. So following the release of the Bureau of Labor Statistics, June consumer price index. Okay. So the BLS CPI. Uh, report, which showed a 9.1. Yes, get this. It showed a 9.1% increase in prices over the last 12 months. That's huge. That's over 9% increase over the last 12 months, higher than than many uh, analysts anticipated. And and to be honest with you, I don't know why. I mean, you always hear that. It's, it's higher than analysts anticipated. I mean, it, come on. I mean, we, we, we can see that that the price of things are are skyrocketing. Why did economists think that it wasn't going to go up, you know, by, by that much? I mean, it's still, it's a big, big jump. But, you know, the Brookings Institute and a, and a bipartisan policy center convened a panel of experts to discuss the implications of the economy. So here are the five takeaways from that discussion. And I thought this was really interesting. Now, the high, the highline uh, numbers were were alarming. And you know what? So were the details. I get this quote. The news today was was a bit alarming, said uh, Hutchins Center uh, Director David Wessel, who moderated this this discussion. Uh, consumer prices in June rose 1.3 percent over May and core CPI. Again, that's the one that they take out the the, the gas and the uh, and, and the fuel type stuff, and they take out the the food type uh, increases. That was uh, that was still up 0.7 percent in just one month. So over the last 12 months, the CPI increase was the fastest since 1981. 
yeah. So, so you see these these comparisons with Biden and and Carter. This is another one of those. Uh, quote: By any measure, this is a lot of inflation, and already we've seen financial markets are now putting a thirty percent chance on the possibility that the Federal Reserve will raise interest rates a full percentage point at the next meeting, said Wessel. That's huge. Quote, I found the numbers also pretty alarming, but not just because of all of the headline numbers, but actually some of the detail uh, worried me more, he said. Um, and and this was actually also with, with a discussion with Wendy Edelberg. Um, the, she's the director of the Hamilton Project for at, at the Brookings Institute. Now, she said, I expected to see big numbers in energy. I expected to see big numbers in shelter. But I was hoping to see softer numbers and possibly in my wildest dreams, maybe even declines in core goods. And we didn't, <laughs> is what she said. So again, she was just kind of hoping, but nope. Uh, the, the bad news was that w- uh, we didn't uh, see very much of good in these things. Um, she said a, a, a bad news scenario uh, is what she said would be a rise in business inflation ex, uh, expectations, which would lead to preemptive price hikes on, on new goods. Um, so basically what she's saying is that, uh, when businesses see things like this, well, they get scared just like you and I do. And so what they do is they start raising uh, prices, even if, it hasn't really already quite hit them yet because they can see it coming. So they they raise their prices, even though their prices may not go up quite as much. They're still going to raise them because they see, they see it uh, about to happen. And, and what she's saying is that a worst case scenario is that businesses really start to do a lot of that. Um, there's also there's some hope, though, for businesses, they say. And, and workers looking forward. Uh, Justin Wolfers, who uh, is of the University of Michigan, offered two views of the latest report. Number one, agreeing with with Edelberg uh, and, and Wessel that it was a no good, very bad, <laughs> horrible inflation report. Uh, but a second, looking forward at costs for businesses there, um, where where he saw some hope in the relatively low increases in labor costs. Uh, July's decline in energy costs um, is is something that he was he, he's expecting as well. I don't know. I don't mean I don't see that, but that's what he's saying. And and looking forward, the fundamentals still seem to suggest. And he says, I hate to use the word again, but inflation is transitory. The only thing that we've learned is during a pandemic, the the word transitory means twice as long as we used to think transitory meant, and maybe even more than twice. <laughs> but uh, as for as for workers, while wages are keeping up with costs, um, will hurt households in the short run, in the medium uh, run, they will catch up is, is what his prediction is. And again, I don't, I don't know if I, if I would agree with him on that. I mean, he, what he says is historically what we see is when inflation goes up then wages go up uh, to, to match those. Well, but the, but then, uh, obviously, historically, what you see in that type of scenario is that businesses are to have to raise their prices again because their labor prices are going up. So it's just a kind of a, a spiral upwards, and that it puts even more pressure on inflation. Uh, gasoline prices will tick down, he says. But 
but not drop without policy changes. And this I totally agree with him on. Um, and in fact, uh, th- there's there's a guy and his name is uh, uh, Exxon Fish- uh, Fishman, who's a director of energy policy and, um, and carbon management at the Bipartisan Policy Center. Uh, he highlighted the importance of energy prices in the CPI. He says they rose 7.5% in just one month alone. I mean, everybody can feel that, right? And are up nearly 42% over the past 12 months. 42% is what they rose in the last 12 months. That's energy prices. He says, quote, it's been pretty clear when you look year over year at energy prices that it's a big piece of inflation uh, of the inflation package that is really felt by the average person, the average household, especially when you have something as salient as gasoline prices that are up up there on a billboard everywhere you drive and every time you fill up your tank, he, he says. Um, and, and while gas prices ticked down in early July um, and will likely continue to do so, he says that, uh, that we shouldn't expect prices to, to decline really over the 2021 levels without significant investments, which will require certainly about uh, certainty about the future of energy policy in the U.S. He says, quote, so as as we think about what's next, I encourage all policymakers to think about the long term decarbonization, energy affordability and energy security and reliability all in one package, because those are the policies that are going to allow the private sector and individuals to make the long term investments in their new vehicle their next fuel source and their next power plant uh, that are going to actually get us from where we are now to a world in which we have affordable energy that is actually decarbonized. So again, I I, I don't see that. I don't see us as getting to uh, an energy that is completely decarbonized. Um, But that's, you know, that's his hope. Uh, And we also see lags in housing and uh, and inflation data, uh, which means that that shelter will continue to to contribute to that CPI number. Dennis Shea, who is an executive director of the J. Uh, Ronald um, Twilling, Twillinger uh, Center for Housing Policy, um, he, he explained that the CPI's shelter management uh, combines rent, that is what tenants pay for you know their landlords, and and owners uh, equivalent rent, which is the estimated. Um, figure of what a homeowner um, foregoes by not renting an uh, owner-occupied home to someone else. Uh, quote, changes in inflation lag real-time changes in house housing costs because the CPI captures current rent uh, rents paid as opposed to ad- advertised rents for newly vacant units and, and releases um, and leases and mortgages, which of course, you know, they, they extend out over like a 12 month lease or, you know, 15 to 30 year mortgage. Now, as, as to what's been driving prices up, Shea said it's primarily a supply issue. There's a supply and demand mismatch. There's much more demand than supply for housing. And, and the estimates vary as to what the supply shortage is. Uh, ranging from 1.5 to 3.8 million units, according to different analysis. So we really need to embrace policies, they, they say, to increase the supply of homes. Well, part of the problem there is is governmental policy. They've made it very difficult 
to to build new homes. They've made it uh, very difficult to 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 find even land and 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 parcels to build those homes on, and made it very expensive to do so. And then when you combine that with the inflation, I mean, you know, wood prices and, and cost of materials and things like that have, have just gone through the roof. So, yeah, I mean, it's obviously going to be an issue. But several features are are still possible from from this report from from a soft landing to a recession. And I know it's like all over the place, right? So not not a lot is, is known about what's going to happen other than it just looks really bad at this point. But for, for Wolfers, he says, looking as, uh, especially at strong in- employment data, a recession in 2022 seems unlikely. And we'll, we'll see. I, I think I think we're, we're probably in a recession at, at this point. We just don't know it yet because the figures aren't going to come out till next month. But uh, but I think I think we're probably going to see that we're in a recession. Uh, the outcome, uh, which could be far more problematic, is the economy slows and inflation does uh, doesn't come down because that's that that's what the Fed you know is is expecting might happen, and they've got a problem on their hands if that's actually what's what's going to happen. Uh, even in a mild recession, um, you know that 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 can lead to economic pain for households, but. Um, you know, the, the economy needs to slow, according to Edelberg, um, in order to, to, to curb this, this uh, inflation. So basically what, what they're saying is that, that the federal government uh, increases in uh, the um, percentage points uh, that, that we have to pay when we want to get a loan. And they do that so that it can slow the economy and hopefully inflation won't explode. Uh, but again, that can hurt when 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 that happens, and it's 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 just it's kind of an out of whack game, right? It's it's pretty bad. The other day, I was celebrating with my wife that I only paid four seventy five a gallon when I filled up my car, <laughs> but but we shouldn't be surprised, really. And th- and that is because that this is what Joe Biden said he would do if elected president, and now we have to live with it for a little while, and hopefully. Not too much longer, just maybe a couple more years. We'll see what happens. You may disagree with that. I would definitely love to hear from you on it. And of course, you can always do that at UncommonSensePodcast.com. Thank you very much for listening. This podcast is a production of Morganite Communications.